Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. And we continue tonight with our draft reviews here. You used to countdown shows. We're going to have a countdown show tonight, but it's going to be a one kind of a one man countdown show because we have a true expert on quarterbacks with us. Mr. Mark Schofield of Pat's Pulpit. Mark, how you doing? 
I'm doing well, Kenny. It's great to be back here. Uh, excited to talk quarterbacks. I always like coming on shows like this one where there's not a glaring need for the quarterback position for Baltimore this year. I've done some shows with like Detroit fans and Steelers fans and other fan bases where it's like they're kind of sweating this one a little bit. <laughs> you know, Baltimore fans, you know, you, you, you're interested in what's going to happen with the quarterbacks for reasons I'm sure we'll get into. And you might think about, you know, day three options or things like that. You're in a good position because you're not sweating out Malik Willis versus Kenny Pickett versus Desmond Ritter, who mm-hmm. are talented players, don't get me wrong, but obviously people in the draft evaluation community, and I'd say the NFL itself, they have some reservations. But it, it's great to be here. Excited to dive in. Uh, yeah, love it. And, and you are at Mark Schofield on Twitter. Just that That's easy. Right. easy. Fantastic. Give Mark a follow, by the way. He has some great stuff on a regular basis, and, and it's stuff you don't want to miss if you're a Ravens fan. So make sure you and your your uh, your son last we heard had been a little traitorous Ravens fan. Knowing you're a, a Pats guy, uh, is he still wearing his uh, Jackson jersey? He remains a traitorous Ravens fan in my mind. And actually, we were just in New York City because um, it's spring break here in the Montgomery County area, and so we were up in New York City for a long weekend last weekend, and we took him to the MLB store. And he walked in there, went straight to the Orioles hat, went straight to the Orioles T-shirt, and I'm like. You're breaking my heart, Owen. But <laughs> no, no, he he has become a Baltimore kid. He's become a Baltimore fan of the Ravens and the Orioles, and so he loves it. So we make him happy. All right, we'd well, love to have you join us for a game sometime if you could, if we can make the time up in Baltimore. Well, that would be fantastic. Yeah, we'll we'll make sure that happens. Uh, let's let's jump in on the quarterbacks though, and and I, we'll go whatever to one you want out of this. I've got the you know the, the well known maybe six or seven guys I've got some questions about, but really it's however you want to structure this and maybe. Countdown, if you would. Sure. And let's go seven to one because there's this general consensus, sort of the top six, right? And you could sort of put them in almost any order you want, right? Whether you like uh, Malik Willis first or Desmond Raider or Kenny Pickett, like this is very much a sort of pick your flavor type of quarterback class. But I like to start with seven because after that six, it's a lot of question marks. Mm -hmm. There's a guy, Ken, that I've really sort of grown to appreciate in this class. And in talking to other people about him, doing some shows with other people, there's some excitement about him. And Of course, this tends to happen because we spend so much time talking about the guys at the top. As the draft gets closer, we start thinking about, oh, who's the day two, the day three guys. But the guy I want to start with, my quarterback seven, is Skylar Thompson Mm -hmm. from Kansas State, who in talking to other people and watching him, if he had more film, if he had a bigger body of work, dealt with some injuries and things like that, people might be more inclined to sort of bump him up boards a little bit. But when I sort of watch him, I see somebody that moves extremely well in the pocket, throws a very nice football, fearless in attacking downfield in the vertical passing game. He had a throw, Ken. And granted, LSU was missing pretty much everybody. I think you and I lined up in the secondary for them in that bowl. (laughs) Everybody was, you know, oh, COVID sick, injuries, things like that. But he had a throw in the post-over console where he hit the deep over route, drops it along the left sideline in between three defenders with that sideline as a fourth defender. Honestly, one of the better throws I've seen a quarterback make in this entire class. And so he's obviously a day three guy. He might not even get his name called because there are guys like Bailey Zappi, Dustin Crum, Caleb Elby, who I think we'll talk about a little bit later, that will probably be hearing their names called that will come off the board. Thompson might become a priority undrafted free agent. He might go in the sixth or seventh round. 
But I think there's something to him. And so when you get past that top six and you get to that sort of next cluster of quarterbacks, he's the one I'm most excited about. Based obviously uh, a good level of competition uh, playing where he is and, and also with a K-State team around him that has not always been stellar in terms of what they do. Uh, you know, we, we downgrade a lot of quarterbacks for the level of competition they face. Do you give Skylar a little boost in that in that sense? I do. And what's interesting, you watch some of those games like back in 2019, he took Texas to the brink and had a throw in that game that could have won them that game. It was actually dropped. And that was a Texas team that took LSU to the brink at the start of the year. LSU then goes on to win the national championship. And so you're right. Certainly played a high level of competition. Did a lot of stuff under center, which I know is almost like a dying art in the NFL mm-hmm. today because everything's pistol, shotgun, but he can give you that part of the playbook if you're excited about it. And I, I come back to the idea of pocket movement and how he responded to pressure. He can click and climb. He can slide in the pocket. Athletic enough where if he needs to, he can get yardage with his legs, turn third and four into first and ten with his legs. And so I think in, in the right environment – and. You know, he's done some RPO stuff, so maybe there's a window for for Baltimore to be interested in him later in the draft. But I think if in the right environment, like hypothetically Baltimore, where there's no need to start right away and he can take his time and learn things like that, he could turn into something in the league. He's not a a, a option runner. He's a a fairly slow It's more like RPO, pull and throw type of stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's certainly something the Ravens should consider adding more to their offense anyway, but uh, right. uh, that, that'd be great. Okay, well, he's, he's number seven on your list, and he's the, he's the outlier guy. He's just outside of that top six, and uh, who is your number six guy? Number six for me is Sam Howell, and I, I, this is where you start to see divergence in sort of my board, consensus board, other boards, because you can ask some people, and they'll say, yeah, Howell's five, he's six. Pro football focus, they have him as their QB one, mm-hmm. you know, Varied opinions on Sam Howell. I think there are a couple of things that he does extremely well. Throws a deep ball well. You know, he he can push the ball downfield. One of the more efficient, proficient deep ball throwers in this entire class. And the other thing to his credit that he added to his resume this year, what he could do with his legs. You know, they lost a lot of talent. Michael Carter in the National Football League, Javante Williams in the National Football League, DME Brown with the Washington Commanders now. He became their second leading rusher, ran for, I think, 853 yards this year because there were just times where they needed something offensively, and he was able to do it with his legs, which I give him credit for. He showed an evolution to his game. What was interesting about Howell's season is coming into this year, he was one, Rattler was two. Those were the two guys, Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell. Those were going to be the guys we were talking about this time as the first two quarterbacks taken. Rattler and Howell both struggled in their first game, and everybody sort of moved on. It was like that that scene from Toy Story where Andy just drops Woody in the bin. I don't want to play with you anymore. <laughs> that was the football world with these two quarterbacks. Rattler continued to struggle. Howell quietly played through some of the adversity, showed some new signs to his game. So, you know, I, I compared him when I wrote him up for uh, USA Today, sort of to Jalen Hurts in a sense, because he can give you deep ball stuff. He's a little bit more athletic. I think he can do some stuff with his legs on the RPO zone read quarterback key game. Um, but there are some concerns and reservations that I, I still have about him. The main is this. For him right now, the progression is always first read, I'm going to run it. 
Yep. You know, he, he's very much a one read guy. There are moments you can pick through his film and sort of find moments where, yeah, he's getting to his second read. He's maybe getting to a third read. But for pretty much the entirety of his UNC career, it was one and done from a read progression standpoint. It's, it, I, I thought it was interesting because he was a guy that I thought had a little bit of Lamar Jackson in him in that he, he keeps pretty good focus down the field even when he gets bumped a little bit. And I yep. thought that he does he does do some things to move around to f- try and find a lane in the pocket. Uh, but I agree with you. He's, he, he, he does tend to throw to that uh, first read. Um, things about what he's done within the Tar Heel offense otherwise, does it translate well to the NFL or is it kind of a, a, a misfit in some ways? I mean, it's very much an air raid system. I mean, it, it's very much sort of manufactured production a lot of vertical stuff, a lot of concepts that certainly are working their way into the NFL. You're seeing more carryover from, you know, obviously guys like Kiff Clansbury coming into the league, other younger coaches that are coming into the league, whether as quarterback coaches, offensive coordinators. So you're seeing that influence work its way to the NFL. So it's not like, say, 10 years ago where this was a, a foreign concept, sort of the, the air raid stuff that he's doing at UNC. So are there things that will translate? Yes, yeah, some of the concepts will. Some of the vertical concepts will because we see teams running these vertical concepts on Sundays just as they are on Saturdays and Friday nights. But it's not the entirety of the playbook. You know, It's not going to be a situation where he's going to walk in and have – in the ability to master everything on day one because it's so familiar to what he did. I'd say Skylar Thompson is perhaps in a better situation because of what they were running at Kansas State as opposed to what UNC was running uh, with Sam Howell the past couple of years. Okay. All right. Outstanding. Uh, Howell, of course, a ridiculous 4-1 to touchdown interception ratio. And it's not 4-1. to It's 92-23. to yeah. So it's a lot of touchdowns. Yep. Uh, consistently ridiculous college passer ratings. I have a hard time converting that to the NFL, and I, I don't know exactly what I mean, the rules are. Sometimes you see some games where it's like a quarterback went three touchdowns, two interceptions, and it was like a 164 yeah. college passer rate. It's like, that doesn't seem quite right to me. <laughs> All right. So uh, how are your number six guy? Let's move on to number five. Number five is a guy that if we were doing this show 15 years ago, first of all, podcasts weren't a thing 15 years ago. So I guess that, that's a tough little sell right there. But this guy might be quarterback one, and that's Carson Strawn from Nevada. Um, I sort of compared him to Drew Bledsoe because he's got an absolute cannon for an arm, throws the ball extremely well, can't really move. Yeah. And, you know, it, it would Drew Bledsoe go first overall in the 2022 NFL draft? I'm not sure he would. Now, there's obviously a caveat to that. Strawn has a knee condition, a right knee injury that started back in high school. You know, he's had eight sort of screws put into that right knee when he was in high school, missed the bulk of his senior year in high school. And interestingly enough, talking to him at the Combine, you know, he was telling us that, look, my doctors told me not to play this past year at Nevada, and my dad told me not to play. But I didn't want to let my teammates down. I wanted to play one last year with my guys, so we came up with a plan where I was sort of in a rehab for six months and then play. They were going to reduce my practice time. There were some practices where he was watching from a cart, from a golf cart on the sidelines. Um, but he said, look, it did limit me with my mobility. And it also impacted my mechanics. He's working with Jordan Palmer and in prepping for the senior bowl and the combine, they went back through his film and saw that he was really compensating for that right knee injury. He wasn't pushing off with or finishing through throws, wasn't driving off that right leg. And if you watch him on film, you'll see moments where it's all upper body and he's still throwing a very good ball with good velocity. So if the medicals clear for him, 
Now, I haven't heard anything about a combine recheck. Maybe teams are satisfied from a medical standpoint that that knee has healed. He could really develop into a nice pocket passer in the National Football League. But the problem is he's a statue right now. If the knee is okay, is he still going to be statuesque? If so, if you're an immobile quarterback in today's NFL, it's a tough sell. Right. It's a tough sell because you can't protect yourself back there. It's similar to, you know, some other sort of statuesque type of quarterbacks we've seen coming out where it's like, like, for example, Josh Rosen, mm-hmm. he couldn't move. Yeah. I mean, we're in, in Baltimore, of course, we're familiar with Joe Flacco and, and right. he was the quarterback that I would have kind of compared to. And this is he's more of a late career Flacco. Flacco had a little yeah. bit of mobility early on. Uh, but, you know, he, he's really the last dinosaur in this draft among the top quarterbacks yeah. who has the Flacco-esque, the, you know, the large body. And even he's a little bit under 6'4". And 225, he's not 6'6", 250, like a lot of the quarterbacks we saw, uh, you know, way back when. Uh, and, yeah, uh, I mean, now if you're 6'6", 250, they're going to move you to tight end. Yeah. I mean, it's we're, we're seeing the, the quarterback position and really, I'd say almost some of the non-negotiables at the position trend towards athleticism as opposed to standing there in the pocket. Like Ben Roethlisberger, a similar guy, I don't know if he goes – Mm-hmm. In the first round, in this in this sort of era of mobility that we're seeing at the quarterback position, it's very much, you know, can you create with your legs? Can you move around? Carson Strong doesn't have that. Now the arm is there, but will the league say, yeah, that's nice, but you need to be able to move? He can't. We can't trust him in the first round. Right? Is there another issue there? Because this is a problem with. Um, Tyler Huntley for Baltimore, even though he moves very well and, and or moves you know well enough anyway, yeah. zero pocket awareness. In fact, they really had to scheme pocket awareness for Huntley. And you, you hear that attached to strong at times, too, especially with, you know, Nevada throwing the ball basically four downs every every right. you know, four plays every four downs. I mean, I, th- I there are moments on film where you can see him slide a little bit, where you could see him feel pressure. Like he had a throw against Kansas State, interestingly enough, where he had some pressure off the right side and he's sliding in the pocket on third down and drilling a throw in between three defenders in the middle field and the referee, the umpire, who was like in the throwing lane. And so he's got a little bit of it. He's got some pocket feel. It's certainly not to the, the, to the level of some of the other quarterbacks in this class. You know, I think Desmond Ritter, Kenny Pickett have better feel for the pocket than Strawn does. One thing that I think works in Strawn's favor, though, complete autonomy at the line of scrimmage. You know, he told us at the combine, like, they let me get into and out of anything I wanted. If we had a vertical concept called and they were going to drop eight, I could check to a run play. If they were showing me blitz, I could check the screens. I could check to and check out of anything to the line of scrimmage. He had complete freedom to do that, which I think speaks well for his ability to handle the responsibility you'll see in the NFL. Now, I didn't watch Nevada tape to really find this out. I watched some highlights of of, of him, but I, I did not notice. Did they get to the line of scrimmage in time for him to use that autonomy with my Yeah. Yeah, oh, I mean, great. there were certainly moments where they're at the line of scrimmage early in the down, and you could see him. You know, there were plays that he had against, I uh, think, had some against Air Force, some against Cal, for example, where he's getting into and out of stuff at the line of scrimmage. You can see him making checks. You can see him pointing out blitzes and pressure looks pre-snap. And you know, to hear that from a quarterback, Jack Cohn is another late round option. Um, Notre Dame, Wisconsin quarterback, who also had similar freedom at the line of scrimmage. I think that's important because most of these guys, you know it. 
they look to the sideline, they see that big car that has four emojis on it. Yeah. That's what they run. They don't have that freedom. Yeah, that's true. And and I guess a lot of NFL quarterbacks and Lamar Jackson is certainly in this group. They're hoping that they gain that as they go. Uh, but it is. It's a big ask. It's a big step forward for a lot yep. of these guys. All right. That was number five, right? Uh, who's that your was number five. four guy? Number four for me is Matt Corral. And, you know, if if Matt Corral could do the things that you see on a infrequent basis much more consistently, he'd be higher on this list for me. Um Obviously, coming from Lane Kiffin's offense, Lane Kiffin does a tremendous job at scheming that first read open, scheming stuff open for him, giving him a lot of, look, this is going to be, if we see this coverage, you're throwing the corner off. Like, it's going to be wide open. A lot of favorable things for the quarterback really takes the decision-making off of his plate. But at the same time, there are moments, like he had a play against Mississippi in the Egg Bowl where one of their favorite concepts is, orbit motion into a swing route and you get a deep out route so it's just a high low concept on Mm -hmm. one side of the field to that curl flat defender read that read the corner and throw off of his leverage well mississippi was obviously ready the safety rotates over to take the out and that corner stays home over the swing so he goes one to two doesn't like it has one dig coming then the second dig both of those are covered gets to that fifth read his check down on the left side of the field so he goes right middle left and the entire time he does it his eyes and his feet and his shoulders, the hips, the hallway is set. So he's ready to go. And he's in th- perfect throwing position. It's like quarterback teaching tape. Yeah. But that's the needle in the haystack. You know, 80% of his film doesn't look like that. 80% of his film is he either throws the out or he throws that swing. Or he'll pull the football down and run. It's one of those things that remind me, not that these are the same players, but his evaluation is very reminiscent of Justin Herbert's evaluation in the sense that you had to really look to see stuff that was going to translate to the next level. The offenses didn't really do them favors from an evaluation standpoint. And so the question for Matt Corral will be in part is what you saw on that limited basis enough to make you think that will all translate on a much more consistent and repeatable basis on Sundays. I don't know if it's enough. Right. That's that's interesting. Now, there was a comment in the PFF guide I wanted to get your opinion on. They they mentioned throw shaping as a problem. And let me first harken back Ravens fans to Kyle Bowler, who undeniably had one of the strongest arms in the entire NFL, almost always threw the ball on a line wherever he threw it. There was almost no ability to throw a receiver open, to throw to an empty spot on the field, to even out-throw a defense to a spot where your receiver might catch the ball. And and that's what they mean when they're saying throw yep. shaping, you know, putting arc on the ball, putting air under the ball, letting the receiver run under it. Uh, what did you see on tape with regard to that? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree with what they found there. I mean, it's really hard to find examples of him, of him layering throws, particularly in the middle of the field where you've got to get it over a second-level defender and drop it in front of a third-level defender. He's much more reliant on velocity. Like they said, they phrased it lasers only. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much how he threw the football. Like he, he's very much a quarterback right now that wants to solve problems with velocity. And sometimes you can't do that. And by contrast, and I will talk about in a few seconds, Kenny Pickett, he can do that. Like you can see him layer throws in the middle of the field. You can see that understanding of leverage. And, you know, I mentioned non-negotiables where I think athleticism is one for a quarterback that ability to identify and throw against leverage and to fit throws where they need to be 
taking a little bit off the throw or using more arc and placement and timing and rhythm. That's also another non-negotiable. It's it's an incomplete right now for Matt Corral. It's mm-hmm. something he's going to have to improve upon because, you know, you can get away with lasers all the time at the college level, but not at the NFL. Like, defensive backs are going to be good. They can get there in time. And so you're going to have to figure out a plan B. Until he does that, he's going to struggle. Yeah, and they, they read you. That ends up being a lot of interceptable balls, too. Yeah. Imagine uh, uh, Marcus Peters working against right. the guy on the outside who would who would be trying to throw throw all line drives. Uh, is, are you at the point with number four that you would project, to, you would guess, at a landing spot for Corral? Or maybe we come back to this later, however you want to do it. Um, it's interesting. I, I keep coming back to the idea that he goes at 32 to Detroit. Okay. I, I think we get four in the first round, and I, I, I think there's an opportunity because, you know, this Detroit, I believe, sent everybody down to Mississippi for their pro day. And I think there is a thinking in Detroit in talking to people that, you know, cover the Lions that are much more plugged in than I am, that they're going probably pass rusher at two. You know, whether it's Thibodeau, Hutchinson, whoever's there at two, that's what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And then at 32, the quarterback comes into play. Now, maybe they might have to slide up a little bit. Now, obviously, they get the pick at the start of the second round, so they could put those two together and move up with the field they have to. But it's far more likely, from what I've been told, that they go quarterback at 32 than at two. I know the Malik Willis to Detroit at two ideas getting a little bit of buzz. From what I'm hearing, you know, two weeks out, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay. All right, well, that's obviously a bummer for the Ravens, who would love to see a quarterback and not a pass rusher taken at that spot. Well, let's yeah. go to your number three guy. Number three for me is Desmond Ritter. And Ritter is somebody that is sort of like the film study community. People like Benjamin Solak, Nate Tice, who was a college quarterback, they're really high on Desmond Ritter, and you can see why. There are things that he, he does from a mental perspective that check a lot of boxes. You know, one of my favorite games to study from him was the conference championship game against Houston. Houston spun their safeties a lot of the snap going from two out of one, one to two. And he did a very good job at sort of getting his eyes where they needed to be. Mm-hmm. One of the phrases we heard all year long last year was the backside dig, right? That was what Matthew Stafford was doing, reading out a frontside concept, coming backside and hitting that backside dig if necessary. That's something Ritter's doing right now. Had a great play. I think it was against uh, it was either South Florida or UCF, one of the, one of the Florida schools where reads out the front side concept, doesn't like it, has that run through route from the slot receiver on the right side. That's covered. Gets to his fifth option, that backside dig, and again, eyes, mind, feet, all in sync. And so he does a lot of stuff from a mental perspective that I think coaches will like. In contrast to Matt Corral, I didn't mention with Corral. He cut down on the interceptions this year, which is good because he had 11 in just two games last year, six against Arkansas, five against LSU. By contrast, Ritter, very careful with the football, not a lot of turnovers. Coaches will like that. He also showed you that athleticism that you saw in Indianapolis, the 4-5-2. You saw that on the field. You know, right. They used him in the RPO game. Fourth and one, they'll go zone read. He'll pull and run. He had a 40-yard touchdown run against SMU on, on a play like that. The hand-up that I have with him, and to be fair, he's improved upon this, is accuracy and ball placement. Mm-hmm. You know, accuracy and ball placement, you know, t- three seasons ago, two seasons ago, it really wasn't where it needed to be. It got better this past year. It does seem like right now it's an early game situation where it's at its worst. Maybe he sort of settles into a rhythm. But 
putting the ball where it needs to be when it needs to be there is kind of the job. And (laughs) I'm accuracy. You can improve it. You can get better at it. You can refine mechanics. You can, you know, if you get ahead of things with your mind, you can give yourself some more time, but it's hard to do that. It, It can be done, but it's not easy. And so that, that's my one hand up with him. This is one of the things I wanted to ask you about was who is, the work ethic king among these quarterbacks. Maybe rank me the, the, the top couple of guys. The guys who are who will do what Lamar has, what other great quarterbacks have done to just study, 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 and improve their game at the NFL level. Yeah, I mean, in in working through these guys, I think the three at the top, you know, Ritter, the next two, Willis and Pickett, are guys that sort of really stand out in that regard. And, you know, Willis is doing a lot of work with Quincy Avery. Uh, Kenny Pickett, he's been working with Tony Rossiopi, who I know personally. He's been working with them for a while now. Um, Ritter is also sort of one of those film study guys that supposedly is like always in the film room, like always sort of getting ahead of things mentally. You know, Matt Corral, Carson Strong, Strong with the freedom to check stuff at the line of scrimmage, certainly checks that box. But I've heard nothing but glowing reviews about these three guys at the top here. Okay. All right. Outstanding. That's good. To, good to hear. Uh, any any concerns about Ritter and the fact that he really didn't play as well against Power Five teams? Uh, I mean, it sort of gets to that idea of level of competition. Um, it, it doesn't concern me too much because. You know, I think when you rewatch and rewatch that Alabama game, like that was as close as you're going to get to an NFL Sunday for Desmond Ritter in college. Mm -hmm. And they didn't win that game, but he made some good throws in that game. He made some good decisions in that game. You saw that athleticism as well. Yeah, throw to Alec Pierce in the end zone that should have been a touchdown. And I like Alec Pierce, but Pierce just kind of dropped it. I I think you 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 saw from Ritter in that game the ability to rise to the occasion is there. Um, Now, look. People might say, yeah, but most of his work came against group of five schools. And so when I'm deciding between him and a guy like Kenny Pickett that drew Pittsburgh to an to a ACC championship, you know, which one do I prefer? Fair enough. And uh, I, there are teams in the NFL, although they're not too many necessarily, that might get Ritter and, and, uh, and he would slide right into the offense as currently constituted. The, the quote-unquote modern RPO offense, I keep – I keep like checking myself and thinking, how did this happen? You know, that we, right. that, that, that we a modern offense is now an RPO. It looks more like what football looked like in, I don't know, the box in one era. If you want to, right. uh, we, we have this, uh, this great amusement to it, but, but, but anyway, he could step right in and run Greg Roman's offense, for example, for I another mean, team. If Greg Roman was, Roman was hired. Yeah. Over. He, he could, you know, Ritter and Pickett, I think, are the two guys that I would be most comfortable playing next year um, and relatively early. And I think they're guys that are fairly schematically diverse. I think, you know, in my mind, Ritter is very – I would love to see Ritter in Atlanta, you know, and he even said, look, I, one of the quarterbacks I model my game after is Ryan Tannehill. And obviously, Arthur Smith, we saw what he did in Tennessee with with Ryan Tannehill. Now he's down in Atlanta. I'd love to see Ritter in Atlanta. I don't know if Atlanta goes quarterback at eight and if they do it, if it would be Ritter. But I think that would be a good fit. Picking, I think, Carolina at six with that McAdoo West Coast offense makes a lot of sense. But I can see those guys in different offensive systems and, and having success. Some of these other guys – I think Matt Corral, for example, has to be in a, a heavy RPO system right away while he gets time to sort of figure it out. Carson Strong, if he can get his way to, well, I guess Arians is now in, 
in the front office now, but if he could somehow find his way to a Bruce Arians vertical passing game, I think that would be ideal. And I think similarly with Willis, but Pickett and Ritter are the two that I think could play early, and they're the two that I think could fit almost any offense. All right. All right, fair enough. We'll, we'll talk about the Steelers thing uh, uh, more in a minute. So that was number three with Ritter, who's your number two guy. Number two for me is Pickett. And that leaves we'll, – we'll have Willis one, and I'll say why he's there in a second. But to me, Kenny Pickett, obviously the improvement we've seen over the past couple of years, you know, leading Pittsburgh to the ACC championship, um, the win against Clemson, which is sort of his statement game um, – Accurate passer, can layer throws in the middle of the field, can move well in the pocket, responds to pressure fairly well, but there's a caveat to that, provided he knows where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. If he sees that double mug A-gap look and they come, he's fine. If he sees guys walked up on the edges and they come, he's fine. He can handle it. It's when he sees the mugged up stuff and they drop and suddenly you've got a, a simulated pressure look and it's an unexpected pressure, that's when the response to those pressure moments is a bit inconsistent. And you and I know both. If a defensive coordinator sees that on film, yep. you are going to get simulated pressures until you figure it out. Zone blitzes. I mean, yeah. all, all of the scheme elements you'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, I, we, is that a quarterback that you would typically want to try stunts against as well? So, and, and, and all sorts of line games where. He yeah. It's also to yeah. change those eye angles, yeah. because if he gets that flash from an unexpected spot, whether it's edge pressure that he's not expecting, whether it's a stunt up front where suddenly the colors switch in front of him. That's when he seems to get a little bit jittery, a little bit panicky. You'll see him. And it gets to sort of the hand size issue, which is, of course, linger. And you see him move the ball, flail it around a little bit, cough it up at times. You know, that's something he's going to have to clean up. Now, the hand size thing, it doesn't concern me as much as some of the other stuff, as much as the response to the pressure. I mean, it doesn't make it an outlier. Yes. You know, smallest hands, it's Michael Vick. Kenny Pickett's a good athletic quarterback. He's not Michael Vick. He's not that kind of athlete. So it will make him an outlier. Um, do general managers like drafting outliers early in the draft? Typically not. They've got mortgages to pay and pay and things like that. And drafting outliers and having to go south is a way to get fired. And so he's got that to deal with. But to his credit, obviously played in the elements. He figured it out with the glove. Um, did have some fumbles. You go back to 2019 at a game, I think, against uh, Virginia Tech where there was in weather. It was before the glove. He was pressured in that game. And, Ken, I think the ball, just as he started to move, just fell out of his hand. And you see moments like that, and it's like, man, that's scary. Yeah, that's scary. Um, now, again, played in Pittsburgh, has the glove, that's the double-jointed thumb. I think he's figured it out, but there will be an adjustment there. It makes you wonder, okay, Detroit, uh, New Orleans now with those two picks in the top 20. Are they in a position where they'll be comfortable to draft Kenny Pickett or even move up for Kenny Pickett? Because they know they'll play at least half, if not more, because they'll play Atlanta in a nice climate-controlled dome. Sure, sure. That makes all kinds of sense as a landing spot for him. Uh, you know, Tony Banks was a, was a Raven at one time. I always you, you, you understand the Raven-centric component of this, but Tony Banks right. had very small hands and was a fumble waiting to happen on every blindside hit. Is, is that something you would see for – for uh, Pickett. One of the things, by the way, that I look at the edge rushers in this class, very inconsistent club usage at the college level. It's like they're all trying to get sacks and and raise that number as opposed to getting forced fumbles, which should be, you know, much more important. At the NFL, they always tell you go for the club. 
Yeah. No, I mean, that's, I, I think that backside pressure is going to be something we'll, we'll need to see it from him. It's one of those things where, like, sitting there right now, I can say, well, there were times once he figured out the glove and things like that, like where he would get hit and bumped and it wasn't just popping out of his hands. But that's the college ball. You know, now when it's Khalil Mack coming off the edge or, you know, name a pass rusher in the NFL who knows how to get to the football, Mm -hmm. Vaughn Miller, who knows how to get to that strip sack, that's going to be – you'll need to see if he can hold up in those situations before you can say with any sort of confidence. They're like, yeah, he's got it figured out. And that uncertainty in in a class obviously filled with question marks and perhaps more questions than answers, that's probably the biggest one facing him for many. All right. All right. Outstanding. So we come to your number one guy. We come to Malik Willis. And the reason Willis is the one, I mean, if it was purely, if I was purely going to answer the question, who who plays the quarterback position best right now, it's Kenny Pickett with Desmond Ritter right behind him, 1A, 1B. I think as we were just talking about in this class filled with perhaps more questions than answers, it might be the time to just take that bet on upside. To take that bet on, look, and when you're watching that Bills-Chiefs game, right, that 13 seconds and everything that happened in that game, and you're seeing what Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen did in that game, when you watch the Baltimore Ravens and you see what Lamar Jackson can do, when you can see where these elite quarterbacks right now have the ability to create on and off structure, you see that there's a more of a willingness or perhaps even a need to bet on trades. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of purely playing the quarterback position right now, Pickett and Ritter are probably the two best at it. But on what might happen down the road, on what could be, Willis has a tremendous upside. Arm talent, athleticism, splash plays, the ability to create on and off structure, the ability to sort of fix problems with his arm, with his athleticism. You think about the Rams and the, the trade for Matthew Stafford. And one of the things Sean McVay said before making that deal was Stafford has the ability to fix things for us, both from a mental perspective and an arm and athletic perspective. If something goes haywire, if we get a look, a blitz, a coverage that we're not ready for, he can fix it with what he can do as an athlete and with his mind as well. Willis has that potential to fix things right now with his arm and his athleticism. And if he can fill in the mental component to that, it will be huge. Now, are there questions and potential red flags? Absolutely. But I think it's one of those situations where if there's like a 10% chance he hits his ceiling, you might be willing to take that bet this year. If this were last year, you'd probably say, no, I'll draft Mac Jones. Uh, I'll draft somebody else. But in this class, this might be the year where a team, similar perhaps in 2019 with Kyler Murray, where they say, I'm going to place this bet because the upside is very enticing. And and otherwise, the, the you have some you you would say lower ceiling players uh, that you have otherwise available to you. Whether that's maybe Corral, maybe Pickett, maybe Howell. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. I mean, we certainly watched Lamar Jackson struggle and and you go into camp in 2018 and watching him in 11 on 11 drills. The accuracy was not there. He was taking off as a runner in 11 on 11. And, you know, I can't. There's a whole bunch of brother in law play going on on the offensive line. It's it's not very impressive to run the football under those conditions. But then, you know, the season just came on and all of a sudden he was placed in as effectively a runner for the second half, was dominant, and then came on, of course, in 2019 and improved so much over that offseason. So my question, as this relates to Willis, is um, does he have that kind of off-the-charts work ethic that he'll be able to come from a very bad place mechanically to be who he needs to be? 
Yeah, I, I do believe he has. Like I said, he's working with Quincy Avery. He's been working with Quincy Avery in the offseason for a while now. Um, Quincy also coaches Trey Lance. Um, and they've been working on him from a mechanical perspective to sort of refine those mechanics because he would miss throws high. The release point would be inconsistent at times. And you could see that, like, yeah, you know, to the accuracy point, there's a mechanical issue here that they need to sort of work on it. That's why it's interesting. You can see the reason why with Willis. You can't see the reason why with Ritter. It's just he's missing throws. And so provided that work continues and everything I've been told about Willis is that, you know, he's a hard worker, like wants to get better, all that stuff. I've got reason to believe that the work's going to get done and he's going to, whether it's as a rookie or a second-year quarterback, get to where he needs to be to fix the ball placement issues that he has right now. All right. Outstanding. Terrific depth on this. We really appreciate you coming on and talking about this, Mark. Now let's get to, you know, the, the other question that really questions that really concern the Ravens. One is how many quarterbacks do you think are likely to go in the top 13 picks? Now that obviously pushes some great players down to the Ravens. So it's really important. It certainly does. I, I think you get at least two sitting here right now with a potential for a third. Okay. I mean, because you know, the interesting thing, we're still waiting on one domino, and that's Jimmy Garoppolo. And, you know, when I was in Indianapolis for the Combine, the most two popular quarterback names that were talked about, whether it was dinners or the media rooms or wherever, Jimmy Garoppolo and Mitchell Trubisky. You know, and in a way, that tells you how the league perhaps feels about these quarterbacks. But if Carolina ends up going with a Garoppolo trade, that might change the calculus right now. If that doesn't come to fruition – then you're looking at a scenario where if you're New Orleans and you're, you you added this second first round pick to get a quarterback, mm-hmm. if you're Pittsburgh and you want your guy, you got to get to five now. Yeah. Like I, I think if you're a Ravens fan listening to this, you're praying to the football gods that Jimmy Garoppolo is still a San Francisco 49er by the time the first round starts. And, and then maybe Detroit takes Willis at two. Is there any possibility? Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, if Willis ends up going at two, then we're really talking about you might get four before mm-hmm. the Ravens are on the clock. Because let's say that happens. Willis goes at two. Now, if you're a team that wants a quarterback, you're coming up to five because you're going to make sure you get your QB two, mm-hmm. or maybe it's still your QB one. You're going to get ahead of Carolina. Carolina maybe doesn't draft a quarterback. Maybe they just say, look, we're not going to draft the third guy. Maybe they still do. Mm-hmm. Then you've still got Atlanta at eight, Seattle at nine. Like, There's a lot of teams that could address quarterback there. So, I mean, it, Ravens fans, if you're listening to this, Garoppolo is still a 49er on draft night, and the second pick of the draft is Malik Willis. That is your dream start to this draft. The exact that we want. You are talking about – I mean, just name them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, name who you want, whether it's Jordan Davis, whether it's – Kyle Hamilton, does he drop? Or, or Thibodeau, does he drop to 14 even if if, if that happens? Thibodeau drops. I, sitting here right now, I can't imagine he yeah. drops. But I, I, I've been told by some teams that, like, that they're wary on him. Mm-hmm. He could slide. He honestly could slide. Or, you know, if you want to talk about corners – you might see Derek Stanley fall into your lap. Right. I, I think that might happen anyway, honestly. I don't think that's that uh, that much of a long shot. I, I, uh, the, the, I love McDuffie for his production. I, I love Stingley for his traits, but Gardner is the guy in this class. If you can get Gardner, you, you take him. Gardner is one of the more enjoyable players to watch this entire draft cycle. I mean, obviously you know what he does extremely well, the press coverage, the length, and it mm-hmm. shows up. 
My favorite trait of his, his ability to turn his hips in unexpected moments. It's one thing, like, he can match a double move, and, like, it's fine. He's probably seen double moves before. But he had a play, I think it was against Temple, where he's covering a receiver on a crosser, and it turns into a scramble drill mode, Mm -hmm. and the receiver just breaks vertically unexpected. Mm -hmm. And he's just able to turn, flip the hips, and carry it. And he, he always has a hand on that receiver to use his length, and he switches hands on it as he's doing it. And it was one of the most fluid athletic plays I've seen from a corner in this entire class. I'm with you. I like McDuffie a lot. I like Roger McQuarrie, even though he's got the smaller arms. I think he made it work in the SEC. I trust what he's been able to do. But Gardner, man, to me, if he's if he's still on the clock at seven, I'll be stunned. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think he's one of the guys that goes early. Okay, so so the last – well, I do want to ask you about the, the Ravens in the later rounds. Is there a guy you think fits the Ravens from an RPO perspective, from a from an option perspective, that would, would be able to come in and, as a backup, run the Ravens offense, who might still be available, say, in round either four or six? Yeah, I mean, a, a name that sort of comes to mind there, there are two. There's Caleb Ellaby. Uh, from Western Michigan, who there Western Michigan ran a lot of RPO stuff with Glant stuff. Now he's not a super athlete. Um, you know, he was able to be a functional athlete and get stuff with his legs, but it was more of the pull and throw type of stuff. They did zone read stuff. He can give you, you know, four yards, five yards, things like that. Certainly not anywhere near the athlete that say. Actually, I'm going to give you three names. Okay. Um, that Lamar Jackson is. Another guy that I, I think really could do that is Dustin Crum from Kent State. Crum was somebody who was very productive as a runner. Some of his best plays came on the ground. He was my quarterback 11 in this class and somebody that I think that like could ser- seriously like do some things with his legs in the National Football League. He's somebody that in the right environment, like this Baltimore offense, that RPO heavy offense where he's allowed to use his athleticism, that would also be a, a place where he could thrive. And then EJ Perry, uh, from Brown, the Brown quarterback. Um, another tremendous athlete. Um, tested extremely well. Um, he's getting some he, – Patriots are having him in for a visit right now. Um, there's great video rolling around of him with a two-handed dunk on the basketball court. Like, t- tested very well. They used that, that athleticism as Brown. There have been rumblings. The teams might look at him as a potential receiver convert because of that athleticism. But I think that – if given the chance to run Baltimore's offense, if he's drafted in the later rounds or a priority free agent, he can run that offense well. All right. All right. Now, I'm not sure they're, they're, they're ready to jump off Tyler Huntley, but we'll see. But uh, Ellaby, Crum, and Perry, three names Ravens fans want to hear late in this draft or as a UDFA pickup, maybe, if that's what it comes to. One last question for you for the night, and this is it. Pittsburgh, who should the Ravens be most concerned about the Pittsburgh Steelers getting out of this draft? And, and how far do you think the Steelers are willing to uh, move up to pick? You know, when I did my first mock draft, I put Desmond Ritter to them at 20. And I, I think Ritter would be a good quarterback in that system. Um, but then I saw the video of Malik Willis on his pro day, and he had the pro day throw, which everybody calls it now, where you like roll to your left and throw back mm-hmm. on the post route. And he hits it, and he like does the airplane celebration away. And then in the background of that picture, there's Mike Tomlin mm-hmm. looking on like a proud beaming father. And I just thought, <laughs> there's no way Tomlin's going to come out of this draft without at least making an effort to go get Malik Willis. Now, would it happen? I don't know. It seems like 
they don't have a lot of needs, you know, quarterback is the thing they got to figure out the quarterback of the future piece. Um, you know, there, there's certainly positions that they could add at, but they got to figure out quarterback now. And would they be aggressive enough to go up and get Malik Willis? Maybe they, they'd have to loop a lot of teams here. Some teams that like New Orleans, if they're in the quarterback market, have those two first round picks. But I think the thing that would scare me as a Ravens fan, if they got their hands on Malik Willis, Ravens have been a patient organization for, for, in many ways. Mm-hmm. And that's what Malik Willis is going to need. He's going to need patience from ownership, from the coaching staff. He's going to need consistency in the quarterback coach and the offensive coordinator and the head coach. You know, we see that sometimes that inconsistency in the surroundings around a young quarterback is what leads to their downfall. Willis getting to Pittsburgh might be an ideal situation for him because of that consistency around the quarterback position. That would be the one that would scare me the most, I think. Yeah, I I agree. Now you mentioned that 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 really is scary. They have an unbelievable amount of patience. In fact, some of their 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 record of waiting to start defensive players is so absurd in terms of you know letting to get the year three oftentimes to do it. Uh, Mark, I can't thank you enough for coming on. It's just outstanding stuff. Please tell folks where they can find all your work. Well, it's, it's always a blast. I, I love coming on with you, Ken. Love the work that you do. It's so great. Um, all the shows that you do, all the, the coverage that you provide. Um, on Twitter, at Mark Schofield, uh, USA Today's Touchdown Wire, uh, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, Pat's Pulpit, Blogging the Boys over at SB Nation, where I do some pod and writing work. But the bulk of the stuff is on USA Today's Touchdown Wire. If you want to see the, the write-ups on these quarterbacks and the clips and all that stuff, it's on the site. You can also check out I did uh, – what did I do? else did I do? Top 16 wide receivers, top 11 tight ends, uh, top 11 interior defensive tackles, top 11 off-ball linebackers, and next week the top 11 corners in my mind. And there's a lot of sauce Gardner love at the top of that piece, believe me. All right. Well, we'll look for that. I really want to compare lists of, uh, of tops at really a lot of those positions, a lot of positions of, of need for the Ravens. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Other folks out there. Um, if you're looking to get on a show, please uh, send me a DM on Twitter, particularly doing franchise building topics before the draft. I'd love to hear from you. I'll respond very quickly. Uh, if we've really got something here in terms of a narrow topic we can go into in 20 or 30 minutes, that's perfect for film study shorts. Please hit me up with that. Mark, thanks again. Uh, gentleman and a scholar. Thank you so much. You're always a blast. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.